Thank you, Prudence. And thank you for your welcome today, both from the front and, can I say, also as we came in and just sat there. This is a very friendly church. Uh, it's not every church that I go to where people come up and say hello, even. So uh, well done, Freeway, on, uh, on being welcoming. And I want to commend you on doing that and, uh, and keep up the good work in doing that. And uh, I want to also bring you greetings today from uh, your bigger Baptist family, your wider family. You're part of a, uh, a union of 240-something churches spread right across the state, and uh, it's a growing family, and a growing, uh, growing in number and growing in diversity. Uh, just yesterday, I was with uh, 45 or 50 um, emerging leaders from churches who all have English as at least a second, if not third language, and uh, great to spend some time at a training program with them yesterday. Next Saturday, we have uh, eight new people being ordained as Baptist pastors, and they come from a wide range of cultural and life experience, and uh, so they will be out in our churches as well. And as a movement of churches, we have a goal over the next uh, couple of years, maybe uh, three or five years, of planting something like 100 new faith communities or communities of faith across our state. Some of those will be church plants, some will be new congregations within existing churches, some will be things like coffee shops and men's sheds and all sorts of things that people are doing as ways of connecting out into our community. So we are part of a, uh, a growing uh, denomination of churches and I want to encourage you with that and uh, encourage you to be supportive of that too in your prayer and so on as you, uh, you might remember along the way Baptist Union and don't just think of it as uh, those people who send out forms every now and then or whatever but uh, we are there working alongside you uh, seeking to support our local churches in our mission across this state. And uh, it's nice to be back here today. I was here uh, just, uh, I don't know, was it earlier this year? And uh, when you did your kind of church review together. And so it was good to be part of that. And nice to uh, come back and connect again today uh, while Mason's away having a good time somewhere on holiday. So hopefully he's feeling blessed wherever he is. And I was invited to come today and uh, talk as part of this series that you have on choosing various things. I can't remember what the other things are that you're choosing, but I know that today we're talking about choosing to be gratefully generous. And uh, you would have picked that up from the Bible reading and so on. And uh, when I read that passage or read that passage in uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm reminded of uh, a bit of an old story that I heard about uh, a fellow who... Um, pulled up outside a little church hall in a really poor suburb. might have been out in the western suburbs or something somewhere, right? And he pulled up in a top-of-the-range, latest model BMW. And he pulled up on the street just outside this little church hall and uh, he checked his very expensive gold Rolex watch. I haven't got one on today. All right, um, but he had checked his thing and he thought, yep, it's time to go in. He stepped out of his expensive car, uh, straightened his very chic designer Italian suit and uh, prepared him and his silk tie and prepared himself to go in and then he ventured into this little hall. When he walked in, there was a little church service already in progress and the fellow who was leading from the front recognized this man and beckoned for him to come up to the platform. The man got up to the platform and he greeted the folks and then he said this. Years ago I attended a service here. Back then I was down to my last dollar. And when the offering bag came around I decided I would give all I had to God. So I took my last dollar and I put it in the offering. I give it all. 
And folks, from that day I began to experience financial blessing and I stand you before you today a very wealthy man. I'm so glad that back then I gave all I had to God. My little old lady in the front row called out, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> no, in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, you thought it might have been going somewhere else, and I'm one of those preachers, and you thought, oh, strike. What is Mason lined up for us? You know, but, uh, yeah, when we read uh, that second letter to Corinthians, and particularly this around chapters 8 and 9 that are all about giving and so on, the Apostle Paul is daring us, though, daring them, daring his readers to be generous givers. To be really um, generous in what, the way we use our money. And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we read this part of Paul's letter. Because some Christians read it as a bit of a get-rich scheme. All right? And that's sometimes called the prosperity gospel. And you might have heard that on TV or read it in a book or something. The idea of that uh, approach to the gospel is that we give some money for God's purposes and then God kind of multiplies all of that and we get back more than we give. It's kind of giving to get. It's like investing and thinking there'll be a return to me. I reckon it's almost like gambling on God. You know, we're, uh, we'll put something in the offering and, you know, what are the odds? Three to one? that I'll get more back than I put in. It's that kind of approach to things, this view of the prosperity gospel. And the problem with it is, well, one of the problems with it, is that it makes money the supreme thing. And God is just a means or an agent by which we might get more money. You know, that approach to things just says, well, if you give God some money, he'll give you heaps more back. Just makes God like kind of tats lotto or something, doesn't it? You know, like, Give him your money and he'll give you money back. Well, that suggests to me that what you're really about is money. And God just serves that end. Whereas by contrast, the Apostle Paul calls us to give money to serve God's will so that more glory will go to God. It's a very different um, agenda that Paul has here, a very different motive for giving. Because what Paul's approach does is it recognizes that God is supreme over all, and money is just one means of honouring and serving God. It's not the other way round. It's not that God serves our desire for a whole lot more money. It's that our money can be used to honour God. And that is the perspective that Paul's writing from and that we need to keep in mind as we read him. He's not talking about how to get rich. He's talking about how to give well. And so Paul calls us in this passage to be generous givers. Now the context is that Paul wrote to encourage the church in Corinth to join with other churches to contribute to an offering that would go back to the mother church in Jerusalem because the folks back in Jerusalem were going through a really tough time at this time. They were being persecuted. They were, we think, suffering through a famine and they had been marginalized in their society and so Paul and other apostles were going around the wider church and gathering up some finances that they could take to Jerusalem and give a gift to that church. 
So that's what he's writing to them for here in this passage. The whole passage is about the fact that Christianity is not about looking after ourselves. Christianity is about sharing ourselves for and with others. And so Paul is not going to try, he's not telling these Corinthians how to become wealthy. He's talking to them about how to give well, how to excel in generosity. Now this focus on giving that Paul's got here in the middle of this letter shouldn't really come as a surprise to us because Christianity at its heart is about giving, isn't it? Probably the best known Bible verse in the world is what? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. God is a great giver. And so it's not surprising that the heart of the Christian life is this question of giving, giving of ourselves for the benefit of others. And throughout the Bible, we see the generosity of God over and over again. You read it right through the Psalms, don't we? We see it repeatedly in the Scriptures that God is good. God isn't just good in some abstract kind of way. God is good in very practical ways. God is good because God blesses. God is generous. And there's a principle that you see right through the Bible as well, which is quite central to Christian living, and that is that whatever God gives us is intended not just to bless us, but to be a means of us blessing others. Whatever God gives us, he gives us to share with others. So, for example, he gives us the good news of the gospel. But we're not just meant then to take that and say, terrific, hallelujah, I'm saved. Straight away, as soon as we have new life in Christ, we are called to share that good news of the gospel with others, aren't we? You know, we are saved to serve. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. He says, you know, it's by grace you have been saved, not so you can boast about anything, but so you can do the good works that God intends you to do. So we receive in order that we might give. This is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. We receive spiritual gifts, for example. Not so that we might say, oh, it's great, I've got this gift, this gift, and this gift. That makes me feel special. No, we receive spiritual gifts to enable us to serve others. They're gifts that are to be used in serving. God teaches us something through life, not so that we might be clever, but so that we might be able to encourage others. God comforts us when we suffer so that with that same comfort, we might comfort those who are suffering. See, so whatever God gives us, we are to be thankful for it. But then we are to ask the question, Father, what do you want me to do with this gift that you have given to me? So God gives in order that we might give to others. Listen to uh, verses 8 and 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. God will give generously so you can give generously. Christianity is not about how do I get stuff. It's about how do I give in the way of God. So it's interesting that when Paul 
is writing to the Corinthians and he wants to give them an example, he chooses not a church that was really rich, but a church that was really generous despite being very poor. And Paul's very clever in this letter because in Corinth, the whole society, the culture was all about pride. Right? The Corinthians prided themselves on their spiritual experiences, on their knowledge, on their ability to speak fine words, and on, their, their, on being in the in-group and not the out-group, and all this sort of thing, social status, all the rest of it. Right? The Corinthians were really into pride. And so Paul's writing, he's thinking, how am I going to encourage these Corinthians to be generous givers? And he says, I know what I'll do, I'll appeal to their sense of competition. And so he says, I want to tell you about the Macedonian churches. Right? And so the Corinthians are immediately thinking, we want to be better than those Macedonian churches. Right? And Paul writes though, and it's interesting because he, he's not saying, you know how they're fabulously rich? No, he wants to write, he writes to Corinth and he says, let me tell you how generous these people are, how much they get this thing about you receive so you can give. He says there that, you know, and it's a striking example, out of the most, in the most severe trial, they had this overflowing joy. Out of extreme poverty, welled up, he says, rich generosity. Out of their lacking, bubbled up joy and generosity, almost like the picture that comes to my mind is like a, a desert place where it's harsh and difficult and it looks like there's nothing there. But out of that harsh place and those terrible conditions bubbles up like a, a desert stream of fresh water. That's what the Macedonian churches were like. Extreme trials. The severe trials, extreme poverty. And yet, when Paul points us to them, what, what he says is, look at that. You can see the hardship they're in, but look at the joy that's coming up. Look at the generosity of these people. These folk, you know, in Corinth, they they didn't have much in their wallets, but Paul is saying, boy, did they have a lot in their heart. Right? Boy, did they have a lot of love and joy and generosity. In their hearts. It was overflowing. In Sunday school days, back in the day when I was in Sunday school, we used to sing, my cup's full and running over, running over. And maybe some of you who are as old as I am or older might remember that song too. But it was that whole sense of my cup has been filled up and now it's overflowing. That's what the Macedonians were like. They give generously, sacrificially, joyfully. They remind me of um experience I had a few years ago when with a couple of other people from my team at the BUV, we went out to visit a building site in Croydon where one of our Burmese churches was uh, working on a building which would house hundreds of people. They were very large. They're like 900 people go to this church. Uh, they're virtually all refugees. I think it's 99% are refugees, mostly in really low-paid jobs. Or, um, you know, sort of, they're doing all sorts of low-paid jobs. They're renting their, their houses, trying to get established in Australia. But they were building this amazing church building on this site out in Croydon. And um, it was a really impressive project. But what impressed me more than the building, because I've been to churches where they've got flash buildings, and theirs is not flash, it's just big. Right? But um, what was most impressive was the spirit of the people who we saw working that day when we went there. 
you know, the, the joyful involvement of that congregation. As I say, nearly all refugees with low-paying jobs, but you know, they, they had somehow through generosity gathered a really significant sum of money together. And uh, then they were putting in an enormous amount of voluntary time to build the place. And the pastor said to me, um, the way it works is this. He said, people who have a morning job or morning shift in the factory or wherever, they work in the factory and then they come here when they knock off at 3 o'clock and they do maybe 3 or 4 hours on the building. Those who have the afternoon shift, they come here first in the morning. And they do their three or four hours and then they move off. There's families that come and they have these big pots, as Burmese people do, full of like noodles or something, you know, that's boiling away. And they come and they feed the people who turn up. And, and he said, when we have working bees, it's a danger on the site. We were getting far too many people. So we had to roster the working bees. You know, we'll have A to F families this week and, you know, G to whatever the week after. These, and, and you looked around that site. And like I say, there was an incredible joyfulness. Their hearts were overflowing. That's what the Macedonians were like back in the first century. Paul writes in verse 4 that the Macedonians saw giving as a privilege and pleaded to give more. Get this, they begged to give. That's weird, isn't it? They begged to give. Well, why did these people want to be so generous? You know, what was it about them? Well, Paul says in verse 5, they didn't just give money, they gave themselves first to God. And he said that kind of surprised him. He thought they might have been generous to him and the others and given themselves to him. But he says, we are surprised because they gave themselves first to God. That means that they worshipped God above everything else. We've just sung that. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. You know, that's a value statement, that song, isn't it? It's saying, well, it's God above everything else for me. I'm devoted to God. Well, these Macedonians were devoted to God. And their money followed their values, followed their heart. And that's why they give. So I wonder what our attitude to giving says about our values and our heart and our worship. Well, the Macedonians worshipped God and they were grateful to God. Verse 9, Paul refers to the grace of God. He talks there about how Jesus became poor so we could be richly blessed. He's talking there, I think, partly about the incarnation of Christ where he leaves heaven comes to earth, lives a human life and a life of, you know, poverty and struggle and so on. So Jesus entered into all of that to bless us. But then Jesus also went to a cross and gave himself in order to bless us. So Paul says, beyond the Macedonians, let's have a look to Jesus. There's the ultimate giver. But uh, these Macedonians knew this blessing, what it was to be blessed richly in Christ And though they lacked material wealth, they were in extreme poverty. And though they didn't have comforts, they were in a severe trial. Yet in the midst of that extreme poverty and that severe trial, they knew they were richly blessed by God. And that gave them a gratefulness in their heart and spirit. 
And so they give out of that generosity. And I think one of the lessons from the Macedonians would be, let's not be so busy counting our dollars that we forget to count our blessings. And maybe we need to pay as much attention to our blessings as we do to our dollars. As we think about, what's my life? What's, what have I got? Well, maybe not a lot of dollars, but maybe a whole heap of blessings. And let's be aware of that and conscious of that. So they were blessed. And I think the reason that it's good in scriptures, we're often encouraged to count our blessings. Like Psalm 103 that says, uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And then he goes into that great um, list and, and poem about um, God's blessings. Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians with this great outburst of praise about all these amazing blessings we have in Christ. Peter does the same thing in his first letter. And so we often see, you know, through the Bible, this call to count your blessings. Remember the goodness of God. Remember how blessed you are. And I think part of the reason for doing that is that it helps us to keep a healthy mind and a good spirit. Um, I know someone um, who recently has been going through some really hard times in her life and her family and she said to me uh, just the other day, uh, before I go to bed at night, I have this discipline now of gratitude. That I'm thinking about what are the good gifts that I've received even today. And that helps her to sleep and helps her to engage better in life. So if we are, are practicing this reflection on gratitude and things, I think, as I say, it keeps us open to God keeps us open to others, instead of just being obsessed with ourselves, which is a very easy place to go, isn't it? Especially if life is challenging for us. So let's be intentional, count blessings. Because I think, as I say, sometimes we find it much easier to think about um, what we haven't got or what we want than rather what we have. You mean, we all do a bit of that, don't we? We think, oh, I haven't got whatever. I wish I had whatever. Instead, and then, but it's a good thing sometimes to stop and say, well, what have I got? Right? This. I'm blessed. There's a story about um, a tourist going to a place in Mexico where they had uh, these natural hot and cold springs right alongside each other. And the locals who are, you know, the, the hard up kind of locals are coming out with their washing, their laundry, and they wash here at this, these two springs. They, um, they go over and they wash the clothes in the hot springs and then they just lift them out in the basket and they dump them straight in the cold springs to rinse off. And this tourist was looking on at all of this and talking to um, his guide and he said, oh, these people must be so grateful to Mother Nature for providing free hot and cold running water right alongside each other. And the guide said, no, senor, there is much grumbling because Mother Nature supplies no soap. Right? Now, sometimes we're a like those Mexicans, aren't we? We kind of go, well, I've got, you know, all this stuff provided for me. But then, well, what haven't I got? And I'll have a good old whinge about that. Right? Much healthier and what Paul and what a lot of the scriptures are calling us to do is to have this attitude of gratitude thing, you know, that's, uh, that's saying, well, be thankful. Count your blessings. And say thank you to God. Don't be grumble, uh, you know, and, and it's a bit of a, one of those things, you know, people say there's two kinds of people in the world. Well, you know, maybe there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who grumble about what they lack and those who are grateful for what they have. 
Well, the Macedonians are the second lot. They didn't grumble about what they didn't have. They exemplify gratitude. And because they got this grace of God, it kind of seems like it gripped them and they actually wanted to be like God. And that's why they give. You know, it wasn't just to kind of help God out with some money. It was they wanted to give because they saw that as being like God. And so they begged to give because that was the best way they had of showing their gratitude to God. But we can hear all that and we might say, well, yeah, but what is the right amount to give? How much should we give? And I know some people say like our 10% based on Old Testament laws of tithing and so on. But in my opinion, that's just a good start. As we heard earlier from the, you know, the Apostle Paul, um, he doesn't specify any amount. He doesn't say to the Corinthians, well, folks, I want everyone to give 10% of their income. Paul doesn't talk about an amount. He talks about an attitude. Developing a generous heart and then giving according to that. So how much should we give? I'd say be generous. Be generous. In in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul addresses this in different ways. He says, uh, first of all, in verse 6, he observes this principle, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that is a verse that is loved by those people who say, take a gamble on God. All right, and, and they get up and they say things like, you, would you like to sow into my ministry? And, you know, let me quote the scriptures to you, that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, but if you sow generously, you'll also reap generously. Well, again, I want to say, remember, Paul's not talking about a get-rich scheme. Paul's promoting generous giving. So I think the point that he's making here is that there are two ways of live, to live. We can be like the grumbling Mexicans or we can be like the grateful Macedonians. And we get to choose the kind of person that we are. We get to choose, am I going to be mean or am I going to be generous? Am I going to be a giver or a getter? They're choices that we make over and over again. And the more we make those decisions and those choices, the more it shapes who we are and the way we live. Are we those who sow you know, sparingly and therefore reap sparingly, or are we those who sow generously and reap generously from life? It seems to me that if we are mean, if we are tight with our money and other things, then we will develop a small heart. And that will limit the amount we can actually receive of blessing and goodness in life. seems to me that uh, mean people are often unhappy people. Ebenezer Scrooge is the great uh, example of that in literature, isn't he? You know, he's so tight, grasping all the time at, at his money. And then, but he's not able, he's not open to joy and engagement with others. Right? So if we are mean and tight, then it prevents us from reaping generously in life. Generosity, on the other hand, expands our hearts. When we give, it kind of pushes us out beyond ourselves. And that opens us up. And when we're opened up, we're better able to receive from God and others. This is what I think Paul is talking about here. It seems to me that generous people tend to be happier people. 
I remember years and years ago when I was a youth pastor, the church I was in ran a big uh, fundraising campaign for a, a property development we were doing. And um, I knew that one of the leaders in the church was going to make a really big donation. Okay. He hadn't made a big thing about that, but I knew because I was on the kind of leadership team and there'd been talk about it. And you know, on the day that offering was taken up, the happiest man in that church was that fellow who'd given the most. Even though hardly anybody knew what he'd given. You could just see on his face, he's beaming. Because he loved to give. It was a joy for him. And it opened him up to blessing. So he celebrated on that day, even though he was the one losing the most in a way. But he would look and say he was sowing the most. And he was reaping, even on the day, the joy of that. It's like, isn't it, anything we're doing in life? If we really throw ourselves into it and participate, then we get something out of it. If we stand back and go, oh, I'm not sure I like this. I'm really a bit grumpy about it all. Well, it kind of reinforces, you know, we, we get what we're looking for, don't we, in that situation? You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be miserable, I'm sure. Well, you will be. Right? But if you go and say, well, I'm going to be open, I'm going to give myself to this thing, then we find goodness out of that. So I wonder how happy you are. What condition is your heart in? Do you enjoy giving? Verse 7, Paul writes, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So Paul's not in the laying down a law here. Right? Not under, but he says, For God loves a cheerful giver, and literally in the Greek it is a hilarious giver. They laugh all the way to the offering, these people. Right? They are overflowing with joy, like the Macedonians. And God loves hilarious givers not because they pour money into the church but because they reflect God's own nature. God is an hilarious giver. Right? We see it in Jesus. We experience it in our lives. You see it at this time of year, don't you, in the springtime where you go out and like say there's blossoms everywhere and you just think God could have done flowers in one colour. But he got carried away when he was creating flowers. And he thought, let many different colours bloom. Because he's a generous, overflowing God. That's what he's like. And he loves a hilarious giver because hilarious givers are like him. And it's like when a parent looks at their child and somebody, and, and you see something of yourself in them, particularly, sometimes it's your appearance. You know, I've had a, a, a my nephew, we've had a first, I'm, I'm a great uncle. I'm trying to find my first great nephew or niece born just a few weeks ago. And so my mum looks at the photo of that child and she thinks he's just like his father who happens to be her grandson. All right? And she's really excited about the child, but also particularly about that about the likeness. And we know that as parents, don't we? They look like us. Or particularly, it's even more important when you think, well, they haven't got my nose, but they share my values. How good is that? And that's what God our Father is like. He sees generosity in his children and he delights in it because he's the great giver. God loves hilarious giving 
Do you enjoy giving? Do you give with a smile? Well, generous giving is God's way. It's God's will for us. And uh, in the rest of that chapter, in chapter 9, verses 8 and 11, Paul says that if we want to be generous givers, God will enable us to be generous givers. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I have experienced this a number of times in my life where um, uh, we've given something and we have been surprised that after we have given, God has blessed. And I don't therefore say that as a way of if you want a blessing, give. I'm just saying that God does enable it. That is what my experience has been. I I remember it started when I uh, began at Theological College uh, many years ago now. Um, I had uh, worked for a little while as an accountant before I went to college, and so I'd been setting money aside as kind of accountants would, you know, prudently, before uh, going into college for that stage was going to be five years. Uh, I'm not sure that I'd be paid much during that time. Um, And so I'd set this money aside, and I thought, right, there's my lump sum that I'm going to live off. Um, and then I remember in about the first month at college, I had to go and get something repaired in my car. And as I was driving back from the mechanic, I was thinking of the amount in my head, and I thought, well, there's the first little chunk of the money gone. I got home, I opened, I was still living at mum and dad's at that stage, and I opened the letterbox, and there was a blank envelope with almost exactly the amount of money I had spent on the car. To this day, I don't know who gave it to me. It hasn't happened since like that, right? Every time I go to a mechanic, I don't think, can't wait to get home and check the mailbox. Uh, but it's happened once. It happened at the beginning of my time in theological college, and I think God was saying something to me. David, you don't really have to put all your trust in your accounting um, caution which was, and, and that was a wise thing that I had done. I'm not saying let's be silly, but that doesn't have to... Your trust is not in your bank account. You can trust me. And he hasn't let me die. So I'm not going to promise that God will make you rich. I'm not going to promise that God will pay your bills. But I will promise that if you want to be generous, God will enable you to be generous. Not in a silly way, but in a genuine kind of way. That's what God promises. God will ensure that we have seed to sow if we intend to be a sower. As Paul wrote, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That harvest bit is about the fact that uh, God enables us to do good so that there are good outcomes that honour him. Okay, when we when we give in God's name, it brings joy to other people and it gives glory to God. This is what Paul's talking about here. He says that to the uh, Corinthians, you know, people will praise God because of your gift. People will be thankful that God's people have used God's resources to do God's will. That's what the yield will be. Not dollars back in your pocket, but joy and praise to God and honour to his name. You can use your money to bring glory to God. What better use of your money could there be? 
for those who worship God and are grateful to him. Paul ends chapter 9, verse 15 with this cry. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I think he's talking about Jesus and the life we have in him. So after all this talk about giving it, he goes into for two chapters. He comes to the bottom line, if you like. And the bottom line is, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And the implication is, as generous as we might ever be, we will never outgive God. We will never outgive God. We can only express thanks for his great generosity. And one of the ways we do that is by taking money, which some people say is the most important thing in the world. And we give it. Because we reckon God is the most important in the world. And we want to honour him and bring joy to others in his name. A day to give. A day to give generously from your heart is an act of thanksgiving and worship. I encourage you to choose grateful generosity and to excel in it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful goodness to us. You are kind, you are merciful, you are compassionate, you are full of grace. We love you and we're thankful to you. And we thank you that you have called us to be your children and your servants. We thank you that you give us all that we need to do that and to do it well. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be uh, generous givers like you are. Help us, like you, to keep moving beyond ourselves and our own interests and to reach out to others in love and to give of ourselves and our money and our time and our gifts, Lord, to do it all with a generous spirit. I pray for this church, Lord. I thank you for it. I pray you continue to bless it. pray you will grow it in faith. Grow it, Lord, in its love for you and for its community. pray that you'll grow it in its strong hope in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that more and more people will be blessed through this church as well. That much honor and glory would go to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.